0: Do you like books or movies or TV shows or songs with lyrics? You know, things that were created by writers. Of course you do. Do you like watching people type? I doubt it. Do you like hearing people tell you about how they came up with the things they type? Maybe. And there are lots of shows like that. But this isn't one of them. Do you ever procrastinate? Writers do too. So, if you've ever enjoyed a great book, or film, or TV show, or song, or poem, and you thought, I'll bet the woman who wrote this epic high fantasy TV series, or the guy who wrote this funny queer sci-fi novel, or the person who writes this punch-you-in-the-gut poetry would be really fun to hang out with, and I'd like to hear them confess their bad not-writing habits, you're in the right not-writing place. I'm Benjamin Gorman. And the quiet guy behind the glass there is Doug, the producer. I write novels and collections of poetry, stuff like that. Doug tries his best to make me sound better. From Notify Publishing,
1: welcome to Writers Not Writing. Today's secret word is side-eye. welcome
0: everyone today's guest is michael roth michael's a children's book author and a puppy parent to two golden doodles named river and willow he draws inspiration from his own pets to create stories that are both entertaining and educational for children his debut picture book river's new friend a story about learning to appreciate challenging uh, challenging new sibling comes out this summer i mean this is this is well timed when is the actual drop for
1: that yeah so i'm doing pre-order in march of this upcoming month and then uh kind of wide release may june depending on when the books arrive from the printer
0: oh that is exciting yeah uh, that's that's wonderful that's and this is this your first this is your first uh uh picture book that'll be out in stores yeah, first one yeah, yeah it's oh, really exciting. That, that is huge yeah that's <laughs> so do you have any kind of launch party plans
1: Ooh, still working on it. Yeah, uh, you
0: you should you deserve it. Like in this business, there are so few opportunities to celebrate. And it's like, you know, you, you get the, the proofs back from the printer, go out to dinner. Like, so, you know, you get the launch party, throw a huge shindig. Like, you you deserve it. It's a big deal.
1: Yeah, uh, I've been trying to brainstorm what the right party would be. I live in Pittsburgh and we get weird rainy weather seasons during the spring and so i'm trying to figure out a good venue that would be weatherproof in either case so well
0: what i found is uh then this was a discovery really you know after as a publisher throwing lots and lots of these in different kinds of venues bars are the best because yeah because the people come and they're like oh okay i want to congratulate you on you know your book and i want to get a copy and now i don't know what to do with myself because And so if the bar is amenable, then they're like, oh, this is great. You're not obligated to do anything but sit at a table and sign books. And the person goes, hey, I showed up and I congratulated you and I signed your book. And now I can go get a drink and I can sit down with somebody else and it's comfortable. So the the best ones we've had so far, I mean, we've done libraries, you know, because it'll be like a YA book. And it's like, oh, you know, where's going to be a place that's appropriate for this? And yeah, you know, people are, do not want to show up and hang out at, at a, a room in a library for a long period of time. So sure. yeah, go for, find a bar that would say, yes, we would love to have you a restaurant. We did one at a pizza place. That was a hit. So um, yeah, find find a place that where people have something to do other than just talk with you about your book. Because, you you know, if you got 30, 40 people that uh, can end up being, uh, you know, w- what do I talk about with you? <laughs> like,
1: that makes sense. I'm trying to think of what the... Uh children's equivalent of a bar would be
0: yes well i wonder are there bars in pittsburgh that are um that are those family-friendly pubs that where they allow dogs
1: oh i, th- I think there might be if
0: there's one of those yeah. that might be a good fit That'd be perfect yeah, yeah cause cause I'd, I'd definitely love to have the fun.
1: dogs be present right, right? That'd, be, that'd be, be, that'd be a fun be, yeah, yeah that'd be great
0: so uh, as you know, regular viewers know, we're on YouTube and on a podcast. And so we always dress up for the sake of the YouTube viewers, and they can all see what we're wearing. But uh, the folks who are listening, we describe, we let them know about our costume. So tell everybody about what costume you've chosen to wear today.
1: Yes, yeah, so I've had cartoon dogs on the mind lately. So I'm kind of leaning into that space. I'm dressed as Snoopy from Charlie Brown. Uh, it's kind of a bulky mascot costume, and you can see it, uh, with the you know, big pull-on head, uh, kind of like you'd see in a Thanksgiving Day parade. And I've got the little Woodstock uh, puppet on my shoulder. So uh, yeah, kind of having fun with that. Not wanting to be left out. My dogs are dressed up too, if I move the camera here. We got River here in the corner. She's dressed up as Charlie Brown. Oh, that's awesome. And then, yeah, uh, then we got Willow here, dressed up as Lucy. Mm-hmm. And I like
0: that you went with the dog, and they are both the the uh, child human characters. That's uh, that's very cool. I went I, I went in kind of a, a direction that I think might confuse folks. So you know I've got this stovepipe hat on, and I shaved off my mustache and I trimmed my beard in just this way. And I think people will look at that and go, you know, I've got this old timey uh, black suit. I just grabbed a black suit out of the closet, and I think people will think, oh, he's dressed like Abraham Lincoln. But what? Folks, even the folks on YouTube can't see is I'm not wearing one uh sock or or shoe because I'm actually going for a kind of a meta thing. So I'm I'm dressed as Daniel Day Lewis. So oh. I've got the uh, the the Lincoln and the uh the the my left foot going on. So uh that's uh so yeah. yeah. You had
1: you had such a glorious beard that it does seem weird to see you. Without it, was
0: it? A, And the mustache, shaving off the mustache was a big sacrifice. I'm like, mm, not sure I want to look like Abraham Lincoln for the next, you know, few weeks till that grows back out. But uh, I do appreciate the, the commitment.
1: I appreciate yeah. the commitment to the bit, though. Exactly. It's for the show. I'll, I'll if, cool if it's one. if it's all right with you, I am going to take this big, bulky head off. Uh, it'd be easier to do the interview without. Yes, it
0: yes. It's a, yeah. I understand. It gets a little warm in there. I, I wore one last week in a duck costume and uh, it was it was it was a lot. Uh, you know, through through much of the show and distracting for the viewers. So uh, I I understand, of course, this, you know, stovepipe hat might also get a little distracting for people. Um, So this is a show about procrastination, what we do when we're not writing. So what has been a kind of pop culture distraction that's been keeping you from your work lately?
1: Yeah, uh, my wife and I are really into the new uh, Legend of Vox Machina show. So it's on season two and really been enjoying that.
0: I, I have yeah. consumed it all myself. Yes, I yeah. really enjoyed that. I wasn't, so I, I am a huge fan of the Adventure Zone. Have you ever listened to
1: the Adventure Zone podcast? I've had it recommended. I haven't had a chance to listen to it either. Totally worth
0: checking out. Same kind of thing, only it started off with, uh, uh, you know, it's it's three brothers and their father and when they started, they did not know how they'd never played DD before. And so to start with, they were just kind of all over the place. They're they're very funny entertainers themselves. So that was, you know, the, the fun of it. But it's it's hard to do a show like that for a long time without it getting very real. Like yeah. <laughs> you know, you go, I've been listening to this story with this character for weeks and weeks and weeks now. I care about this character, now. and like it got. There was an episode that made everyone cry, and it was like, wow, we've come a long way from a character named Barry blue jeans to you know, like a character, you know, characters actually actually crying about these. And now, since then, they've done different seasons where they're trying out different kinds of games. So they started with D and D, and now they've done you know variations that take place in kind of a steampunky world and a western and that kind of thing. Uh, And so they have mentioned Critical Role a lot on theirs. Are you a Critical Role
1: listener? Uh, Kind of casually. My wife is a diehard fan. She's listened to all the episodes. And so I've seen an episode or two here or there.
0: What does she think of the the adaptation to animation?
1: She really enjoys it. She thinks they're doing a pretty good job porting it over. And it's something I like talking about with her as a writer because If your viewers aren't familiar, Legend of Vox Machina is an animated show they've made out of a live stream Dungeons and Dragons show called Critical Role. So they played their campaign and then they raised money to turn it into this animated show. And so as a writer, I'm fascinated by how they've done this adaptation because Dungeons and Dragons has has no structure to it. It has no uh, there's a story that the Dungeon Master tells, but then all the players are a little chaotic elements and then you add in the dice and things can go in very strange directions and so there's no guarantee that it will tell a good story right now you have to come in as a writer and take what was this kind of chaotic web of things happening and turn it into a story that people can consume in a half hour long tv episode
0: yeah well i think it reinforces this you know belief that I hold very deeply that human beings want stories to work like we want our stories to follow a pattern to work properly and so when we are you know but when people are playing D&D they still tend to Lend themselves to arcs, and they yes. you know, the, the the stories have the, the kind of the right beats, even when there is all that chaos, and and you know people manage to kind of shoehorn in their chaos into these structures that end up making good sense, uh, just because we have a natural inclination to go. These characters' challenges must be resolved, or else this will be tragic. And sometimes it is tragic, but it still resolves in the right way. And so, yeah, it's fun to see you know, to, to listen to a and d game and go, this is still, ends up being good storytelling, good collaborative does, storytelling, yeah. even though th- there there are these things that are seeming to get in the way. They really end up just say, providing opportunities to say, the story will go in a different direction than you want, but eventually it's going to be a story.
1: Yeah, so at the end of every episode, I grill her, okay, what was different? What yeah. did they change? And then I, I try to rationalize in my brain, why did they make that change? And a lot of it is, all right. They're trying to make a more complete arc for this character in this episode. Uh, so I appreciate the things they're doing there, but I also like that they're leaving in some of the chaotic elements of Dungeons and Dragons of sometimes when you're playing the game, a character dies in a very stupid, unexpected way. Yeah. And they're leaving things like that in there, or that you find an item out of the blue that isn't foreshadowed. They're leaving some of that stuff in there, which as a writer, you would never do. You would foreshadow the existence of this thing before they find it. And it's kind yeah. of trying to break that in your mind. of it's okay sometimes just to throw in random things, it makes it very real. And it's a different story.
0: kind of real, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, in, in, in fantasy stories, we're used to saying, you know, this is going to be highly structured and this is going to, you know, everything's going to, to lead from point A to point B to point C on this quest story or whatever. In the life we actually live in, in the real world, things happen for no reason. And, you know, terrible things happen unexpectedly. And so it, it's, you know, you're injecting that element of a reality into what is very clearly a, a wild fantasy, you know, and then four dragons show up in town like you right. know it's a fantasy setting uh but it does yeah it does uh you know give you this sense that and it, it affects the stakes at any moment yeah. this weird thing could happen so maybe we shouldn't get into this fight because if we do one of us could die right now you know like uh so i i that's one of the things i appreciate about dnd is it's a uh, I, I don't think I could ever be a DM. It would just be so... You DM,
1: right? You, I do not. You I don't DM? Who's, I have a friend who really likes to DM and I'm happy to let let him yeah. do the job.
0: Yep, because I think I would be too controlling. I would be going, no, I really need your characters to do the following things so I can get to the next place in the story. <laughs> you know you're driving me crazy because you're all acting like actual autonomous beings <laughs> you know like uh so yeah dming is a ton of work uh but it's also i mean it can be really fun but you've got to have somebody who's willing to say i'm willing to you know give you this flexibility and not force you back to a path that i had you know preconceived uh, and that 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 i'm i'm a writer i would just be like no you must act out my tale, (laughs) which is not good role playing for anybody we've got doug the producer he's brilliant he'll go through and edit that out in such a way that no one will even notice thanks Uh, doug oh yeah please doug don't forget that (laughs) thank you doug uh so uh in addition to uh, writing, what about or, or uh, entertainment, uh, what about the news? What has grabbed your attention this last, you know, recently that has taken you away from your writing?
1: Yes, I'm a big uh, sports fan, big fan of the uh, NFL team, the Denver Broncos, and they've been in the middle of a very chaotic and dramatic coaching search. They had fired their previous head coach, and they've been trying to find a new one, and I've never seen anything quite like how this search uh, came about. There were uh, secret meetings, secret candidates. There were different rumors every day. And so I'm trying to follow that drama and figure out what was what was going on. Uh, and then in the end, they ended up trading for a coach that was under contract with another team, which is a fascinating thing to me. that You can trade not only for players, I didn't you can even trade know that for was staff. You can trade for the staff of another team And bring them onto your team. So
0: when they trade, because I don't even, I'm a big NBA fan. I don't think that's ever happened in the NBA. When they trade, is there there the same kind of like they take on the contract and they're, or do they need to exchange roughly the same amount in contracts for that person? Yeah,
1: it works a little differently. Typically you will renegotiate their contract when they get to you, but you do, you do assume their contract. But the odds are the coach is going to now want a better contract.
0: Sure. Uh, but but what did you have to give up to get them? I mean, do you have to say we're going to give you players or is it other staff or how does that work?
1: Yeah. So coach trades in the NFL end up being uh, very strange. We actually include pretty valuable draft picks. And oh. so the, the Denver Broncos traded a first round pick, uh, which is the highest pick you can have to uh, to the New Orleans Saints to acquire their old coach. That, and so... I-
0: that would be fascinating in the NBA. NBA is very much a player's league. Like, you know, who's we have the same thing with our our Portland Trailblazers where we had to find a new coach. Uh, the, the last coach was a very good coach, but he was consistently getting us to kind of the middle. And okay. it was this sense of, OK, if we're going to, you know, move from somebody who's taking people who you didn't think could get to the middle, getting us to the middle. Great. Now, who's going to be the person who can get us to a championship kind of a, a thing? And it was who do, do you know does the star player like out there? And so that, that ended up being kind of rough because there, there was some stuff that blew up in the news about our coaches, you know, uh, some, some issues in his past. And then the player is going, well, when I you know was lobbying for this person, I didn't know that, but I still think he's right. a really good guy and he would do really well for us. And so it was, it was, uh, it was kind of wild, but the, co- you know, but the players almost choose, you know, th- th- or have a lot of influence over, but then the way that they, uh, move on is they just fire them and they continue to pay them you know it's like oh you've yeah. got a five-year contract you're two years in the players have decided they don't like you 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 go sit on a beach for a, a year uh and you collect your pay for the next three years and then you go work somewhere else so once once you're at that elite level you know they're they're, they're doing just fine for themselves <laughs> but uh but i've never heard of a trade it's certainly not involving picks or players like that would you know that would really complicate uh, uh, the the draft system, which oh, yeah. the media and diehard fans sickos love, like you know keeping track of. Okay, but it's a third round protect. You know, it's a first round protected pick. Right. Like you know, so that that maybe that's something the NBA should look into. How do we start swapping coaches around? Uh, that, would be, that
1: would be a lot of fun. Yeah. You know, I think sometimes as, as sports fans we like to think, oh, this isn't real Housewives of Beverly Hills. We're watching something you know cool, but. We're, we're just watching reality TV show too. Totally is. We're following the totally. drama. There's all the infighting. There's all the rumors. There's the gossip, and and we eat it up.
0: It's it's soap operas for stat heads. Like it it's, is. Oh, okay. Is. Here's a soap opera, and it's connected to numbers. Like you know, like yeah, absolutely. So, what about hobbies? When you're not working on, uh, you know, your actual
1: work, what hobby keeps pulling you away? Yeah, so it probably won't come as a surprise. But I play Dungeons and Dragons uh, as a hobby. It <laughs> um, kind of started right before the pandemic. And then when the pandemic hit, it kind of supercharged our games, where now we were needing a social outlet. We were needing a way to talk to our friends and do something fun when we couldn't because of lockdown. So suddenly we went from having never played to being in three different campaigns. And it, it kind of became a, a pretty big part of our uh, social life, a big part of uh, a general hobby life. And even after COVID has you know, changed and has uh, kind of wound to a different new normal, we've still kept playing in uh, in these games. And I think what we've found as a group um, is that it's a good escape from stressful life. A lot of the players in our game have pretty stressful day jobs. So it's nice to have this outlet where you can get together with friends, play a fun, silly game and uh, escape from the real world for a bit.
0: And if you've got the right group of friends, it makes all the difference. Like I have played, I have never played a long campaign. Every time I've tried to get into a game, I'm like, oh, okay, this one, you know, so I've I've been invited. We're going to do this one. And then finding the right group, who's got the, the quantity of humor that you want you know some people want a really serious game and that is not my style like I want to be able to joke around and I'm like oh I'm in this room and these folks do not want quips (laughs) they do not you know or you know my son and I went and played one one time with somebody and you know this was when my son was he's 18 now but he was much younger and his character was really genuinely funny like i was like oh yeah. this is really great and the folks were like that's not realistic and i was like Re- realistic to done you know like, we're in a fantasy world you know uh but they, they were worried that he would essentially break the game stats wise yeah. like you know and uh and so that's yeah it's it finding the right if once you've got the right crew hold on to them because that, that makes all the difference
1: I've been I've been very blessed in that regard. In that I play with my wife. Uh, the dungeon master is my best friend. Another one of the players is my wife's best friend. Another player is the dungeon master's brother, and so, and you know another friend of ours. So the chemistry comes really easy to us because yeah. we were all such good friends in real life. And that's not always a given. It's not all the time that your friends share your interests and want to do something like this that's this time intensive. Uh, and so very lucky to have had that work out that. And spend time uh, with people I
0: love. So. Oh yeah, and, and doing it during the lockdown—that's brilliant. Like that's the that's the way to, <laughs> to to have survived that. Do you find that it's fun when you? I mean, are you seeing your friends play very much against type in terms of their characters, where you're saying, "I know you," and this character is very
1: much not you? Sort of. So I have a theory that every everyone's Dungeons and Dragons character contains aspects of themselves. Oh yeah. And so even when you are being not yourself, there are bits of yourself in there. And so I can always look at them and see, yes, you're being a ridiculous person right now, but I can still see you in how this character is behaving. And so anytime I try to be an off the wall character, uh, go very against type, I end up seeing myself coming through no matter what I do.
0: Yeah, which, you know, when you're with a group that that, that's that close, that's got to be an extra layer of fun. People are seeing through that character and they're like, yeah, but I, I know you.
1: <laughs> so uh, as part of this, I've now taken this hobby to a new level of extreme because uh, it started off during the pandemic. We were playing on Zoom and I thought what would be more fun is if we could make this more like some of the shows we're watching. We're watching Dimension 20 uh, and some of these other live play shows and they have fancy backgrounds and things. And so uh, I said, okay, I'm going I'm to learn how to do that. So I, I learned OBS and so I could make um show here for your oh, YouTube very viewers. cool! So, okay, I can make the box. So each person now is in their own box with their name and Little animated character of themselves, and then in the middle we have our roll twenty window, so people can see. And so it kind of became a more fun way to interact online. And yeah. as that for, for folks who are listening to
0: yeah. the podcast, the background now is all these cool like uh, representations of these various locations and the names of the characters to kind of you know kind of symbolize them. And standing in the middle of it is a person in a Snoopy costume. It is <laughs> <laughs> there's there's it there's a disconnect that is wonderful right there. Well, did yeah, Snoopy with no head. Yes, right. exactly. Headless Snoopy in the midst <laughs> of the D and D campaign. That's a potential <laughs> character. Yes,
1: that you've it's, got now the headless truly, Snoopy. Wouldn't be the weirdest I've played. <laughs> so, so that that kind of became my role as taking on this tech role of making the experience as good as it could could be. And I kind of viewed it as an act of love I could show my friends. Um, I want this to be the best experience that it can be, so we all have this escape that we're enjoying be you know, as fun as it as it can be. And so that then transitioned to we started to play more in person. And suddenly I had to figure out what is my equivalent of yeah. doing this in person. And so um, lately I've been working on turning my basement into a full Dungeons and Dragons room where I'm making prop walls. I've made a custom table. I've got uh, monitors and cameras hung up for our virtual players. And it's kind of become this interesting new avenue for me to explore I, I've yeah. never done carpentry so that's been yeah. a fun uh fun thing to learn and
0: oh that is very cool yeah like absolutely trick it out so that it is the space for you that's that is really great
1: yeah so I just toggled my background here now so if you're on audio I've made these prop walls out of insulation foam. I've carved in different, kind of similar to the wall you've got in your background there. Well, mine
0: is not quite as cool as yours. That is really great because yours are actually three-dimensional. This is uh, sponge-painted bricks. But I yeah, I wanted my study to feel like a medieval tower, you know. But yeah. yours, I, that's that came out really well.
1: So that's that's our next step is sponge paintings. We've now carved out all of the individual bricks. We're going to go in and sponge paint each of them to make it look a little more realistic. But... Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, and that's why I did multiple coats of different shades of gray with sponges and mm-hmm. it, it, it is fun, it, you know. Yeah, yours turned out great. Well, that is, that, that is awesome. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, Doug, fire up the ad music and we will be back momentarily. This week's ad is for ads, more specifically advertisers. Even more specifically, people who want to advertise something on our show. Are you an author struggling to let readers know about your book? Do you have a product that would appeal to the kind of person who also likes to listen to writers talk about procrastinating? Do you like ads filled with questions? No? Well, then give us a better one by going to the homepage for this show and clicking the link on the bottom about advertising here. We're now on our 11th episode, we have over 500 downloads. That's not a lot, but the graphs are going in the right direction and our rates are very low. So why the heck not? We also have a couple of live shows coming up. Come participate in a live recording of Writers Not Writing at the Portland Fan Expo, which is from February 17th to 19th. There's a way to get tickets in the show notes. Guests will include Jeff Davis, Derek Koch, and Nicholas P. Robinson. And then we'll be at NorWestCon in Seattle, April 6th to 9th. The guest for that show are TBA. We'd love to have you in the live audience uh, bring some fun questions to ask our panels of procrastinating authors. We will see you there. And we're back. Uh, So what is it, part of the writing process is daydreaming and at the same time daydreaming can be a means to procrastinate. So what are some daydreaming you've been doing lately?
1: Yeah. So I've had this idea of taking what I'm doing in the children's book space, but also combining some of these skills that I've now learned from making this Dungeons and Dragons uh, setup. And I've I've thought, could I make a children's TV show for YouTube where I do children's book readings so where I read aloud um, and have the kind of text set up so you can see the pages, you can see music and, and sound effects and and could I make kind of a fun show that kids could enjoy on those times where a parent needs to hand them a screen to do whatever. It could be a fun thing for them to to watch. And so oh,
0: I think that's a great idea. I mean, yeah. I'm sure there's there there is a huge demand when folks know this is somebody who cares about children's literature, who's going to be exposing them to books I might not have yet. Yep. Uh, and, you know, and, and that's good for kids, too. And the nice thing about a YouTube show is when the kid says, I want to hear this book 300 times in a row.
1: You don't have to read. Refresh,
0: it. <laughs> like, yeah. okay. I think that would be a total win. Yeah, my 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 son when he was little, it was the same books over. He, he had his favorites, you know, and that yeah. was great. Oh, yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I can imagine uh, nowadays. I might have said, maybe I should just record this.
1: Uh, well, there's yeah. so there's so much value in taking a kid to a story time at a bookstore or at a library, but that's not an option for every parent. Well, it's not at
0: all times, you know, the the convenience of, yes, please do do that. Take your kid to the library. And also when you need to go take a shower, (laughs) (laughs) here's the means to do that. Uh, And, you know, that process of of repeating the same story over and over and over is important for children. Like, this is a way to say, I not only know the content of the story, but I understand what's coming next that feels comfortable that feels you know there's there's relief there's comfort and and so teaching kids that those positive feelings can come from books is a really healthy part of their development so i i encourage you uh, by all means do that and let me know how i can promote that because uh let's we let's get get that out into the world that would be really cool
1: yeah if if i'm going to do it i want to make sure i do it right because people are entrusting your their children's eyeballs to you and their brain to you there's some Respect you have to show to that, and and so, and so I'm I'm right now researching and reading all sorts of research papers and reading books on early childhood literacy because I want to make sure that if I'm making this content, it's content that actually will give the kids something and they'll get something out of it. Yeah, and And, I'm, I'm. Yeah, go
0: ahead. And the nice thing about doing it on video is you can polish it up. So you can say, oh, this moment didn't work well. This might be jarring for a child. This is, you know, how can I smooth that out and put in these transitions and that kind of thing and really give them a nice polished product? Because I think you're right. Taking that very seriously. You know, if if somebody, even if they are saying, I need somebody to take care of my kid for five minutes while I Mm -hmm. go make some dinner, they're entrusting their child to you for five minutes. And so good for you for taking that seriously.
1: Yeah, and I'm fortunate enough to have a, a good friend who is an expert in childhood literacy, and so she's been pointing me to papers and books, and I've been running things by her and going, "What if I do it like this?" And so, uh, again, I'm very blessed in the the friends I keep and the way that they've been able to support a lot of the uh, hobbies I'm doing here.
0: Yeah, oh, well, that's wonderful.
1: Yeah, that's great. Well, that I I think that could really
0: be the you know, it, it's nice thing that if, if it's if it ends up with you know. 30 kids in the entire world yeah. watching it that's worthwhile like that's good for those kids you have given those kids a great gift you know so even if it doesn't blow up to you know millions of children it's this thing that you have taken seriously and and i hope folks would you know then appreciate this is some kid is going to look back and you know many years later and go there were these great videos i used to watch on youtube uh, where somebody actually was introducing me to a lot of literature so I, I think that's
1: that's cool i'm sure this is something you can identify with If I'm going to do something, I don't necessarily care about the reach of it. I want it to be fun for me to do. And the reach is nice if you get it. But if you're spending time on something, it better be something you love and enjoy. And then hopefully you reach the people you want to reach. But right.
0: Yeah. For me, the reach is an outgrowth of the depth and a mechanism to the depth. Like I would much rather have one person say, this book really mattered to me. The reach is how do I get to that person, right? So it'd be great if it, you know, if it gets broad attention. But if it was broad and superficial attention, you know, where oh yeah, a lot of people are aware that this book exists, but they didn't, it didn't matter to them. Then yes, we've wasted our time. Whereas if it's oh, this really connected with somebody in a way that was meaningful to them, that you know, I, I, I want the reach to get to that person that's the mechanism yes.
1: for me and hopefully you had fun in the process of making right it.
0: right yeah well and that's and I you know as I'm teaching creative writing to to high school students and adults you know one of the things I talk about a lot is in the in drafting phase it's all about us like I am doing this for me right and mm-hmm. then everything after that revision and and editing and all the parts of the publishing process and the marketing that's very reader focused how do I make sure this is the best possible experience for the reader if it were just me I I could just have fun and never publish, right? But if yes. it's going to, uh, you know, and so I appreciate that you are caring enough to say, how do I make this valuable for these kids? You know, I'm having fun. And also it needs to be meaningful and useful to uh, to the reader. I think that's essential. So uh, what, you know, normally I ask folks, what is going on with your writing career in the, you know, in the near term future? because I don't want them to have to feel like, Oh, I need to, you know, rehash everything I've done in the past. Uh, and you know, they, they've got, you know, maybe they're, it's not specific to, uh, uh you know, what they're working on in the present, but for you, you really are in the moment of, uh, of this yeah. publication process. So what's going on with you in terms of your, uh, your, your writing right now and where it's going to be.
1: Yes, this is uh, very timely for me. It worked out, uh, worked out great. Um, So my book is uh, in the process of being finally illustrated, got a couple pages left to approve, and then it's going off to the printer and starting March 15th, launching a Kickstarter campaign to do pre-orders. So from March 15th to April 15th, you'll be able to pre-order the book, uh, get fun rewards and stickers, things like that. Um, And then the books will be delivered May or June, once they finally come back from the printer. And so uh, gearing up towards that process has been, exciting but a lot of yeah. lot of work but it's it is a lot of work but it is exciting
0: like you're, it it is
1: you know, it's all
0: coming together there's this real feeling that the pieces are coming together there's so many parts of the project and now you know as those last few illustrations are coming in and the interior is getting finalized and going off to the printer it's like oh it you know this is real yeah. this is yeah wait till you're holding them in your hand I mean um, I'm a looking forward powerful to powerful experience you're like I made this this is mine you know uh that's wonderful um, yeah. And and then how are you going to get you you know uh, <clears throat> I see that one of the things that you're planning on is to get those to preschools daycares that kind of thing uh, which I think is uh, just a wonderful idea so what's the 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 plan there
1: yeah so one of the things I'm most excited about with the Kickstarter is you'll have the opportunity to buy a book for yourself but you'll also have an option to purchase a book to be donated to a li- a, a daycare or preschool that services low income communities in some of the areas that I've lived, Denver, Pittsburgh, and West Virginia. So these communities that mean a lot to me, I'm trying to promote childhood literacy, but also just, you know, there's, there's preschools and daycares. They don't have the resources of others. And I want to make sure that they also get nice new books. Not everything is a secondhand book, but they can have this nice, beautiful book that they get to hold in their hands. And so, uh, yeah, as part of the Kickstarter, there'll be an option for you to donate books, um, to these different communities and partnering with different organizations in those places to get the books uh, to these preschools and daycares.
0: That is so much of literature and especially children's literature is about giving. You know, yeah. the, I mean, you're producing this product, which will be read by someone to someone else. There's already this element of gift giving that is intrinsic to the the art form. And then to actually have an opportunity to say, how am I going to contribute to that, to give to kids in need and and facilities in need? Uh, I think that is, wonderful and so when that you know when that link is up let me know we'll toss that in the show notes for now we'll just put a little uh kind of calendar reminder for people keep an eye out uh march uh what is march 15th if that was yeah yeah so march 15th keep an eye out this is something you can contribute to and get excellent literature into the hands of kids who will you know absorb that uh that's that's so cool yeah thanks so one of the things we also do is we post a weekly poll, and this will be up on Twitter and people can weigh in. What is your idea for our weekly poll for this week?
1: Yeah, so I'm hoping you can settle a debate that my wife and I are having, and that is, should pets be allowed in your bed? Uh I, I have I have strong feelings of In
0: too much, but uh if my dog is not sleeping on my feet then i'm not going to sleep as well cuz that is now that ingrained so uh absolutely, you know i i certainly have a, a side uh, uh in this debate i understand people for you know sanitation reasons allergies that kind of thing may disagree we can battle that out over twitter but i am very much in the on the bed side where where do you fall on that one
1: ooh you know i originally was completely anti do not sleep in the bed you sleep in your own bed on the floor right. I went on a business trip and by the time I came home, the dog was sleeping in the bed with my wife. And so ever since then, we've had a dog in the bed and I've I've come to not mind it too much. Yep. yep. It, they're, it, big, they're big dogs. And so I, I basically have 120 pounds of dog sprawling <laughs> across my bed. Yep. Yeah. My dog, Evie, is a,
0: a pity mutt kind of uh you know rescue dog and i was reading this great article about how there's there a lot of uh like they found that soldiers people who struggle with any kind of mental health thing it really helps with our sleeping and it goes back it's evolutionary like this is i am comforted by the fact that there is another heartbeat near me in the bed and so even if you know my you know my spouse is not here if you know evie is just i mean she will just kind of lean into and she she's learned feet is is you know better for everyone but used mm-hmm. to be she was you know when i was single she was like rolling onto my back and it was like oh this is actually a comfort to us both like we are we are beings who are uh social beings uh, both pack animals and uh, now we're in the same pack and that feels better so yeah I, I i'm a fan but uh you know i'm i'm open to hearing that people hate it and uh and we'll let folks weigh in so look for that on twitter and uh, give us your feedback uh book dogs on the bed what do you think and then and then you know pets more broadly like yeah just try and keep the cat out of the bed cats do not i am i'm of the opinion that cats actually speak french they don't say meow. What they say is mad. They're just walking around saying everything is crappy all the time. You know, they're they're French existentialists to the core, and they're like, I you know, I I am I am experiencing this existence uh, in a Sisyphean way, and I'm, I'm I'm enduring you humans, you know, in my space, but I'm gonna do what I want. And so, yeah, I I, I love cats, but a, a cat decides where it will sleep.
1: Yeah, my my personal theory on cats and dogs is that the best version of a pet meets somewhere in the middle. The cats that act like dogs or the dogs that act like cats. uh, That to me is the sweet spot. If you get too much of a cat or too much of a dog, to (laughs) me, I'm out. I like where they are in the middle.
0: Although I admire a cat's disdain. You know, like the the way that they're just like, you know, (laughs) a cat can give side eye like a human being where they just kind of go, really? (laughs) It's like, wow, I feel very judged by this animal right now. Whereas, you know, my dog cannot be disdainful she's just like no no matter what is happening i do love you <laughs> You know, and you're like really is this is you know because this this is not the best look for me right now and you're still looking at me admiringly I, my dog's name is evie which is an acronym for uh external validation <laughs> you know i walk in the door and she's happy to see me and i'm like that's why i got a dog somebody is glad that i
1: exist uh she, she's she's the best so you say that about dogs giving side eye but my children's book story is based on my older dog river not being a fan of when the younger dog willow was brought home and boy did she give some side eye to the. oh puppet. really there and was so, some
0: strong judgment you have invaded my space and absolutely
1: my yeah so the picture book has some illustrations of that but those are based on real pictures yeah and so it, it, they can give not not give side eye to us. They're loving uh, right you
0: know, masters. The, the food givers, yeah, it's they, the they food givers. Side but eye. to
1: one another, absolutely, they can give some power powerful side
0: eye, <laughs> some powerful judgment. Yes. <laughs> well, and what a great topic for a book for kids who have siblings. Yes. Uh So that that I, I I can see that there will be a lot of value to that for parents who are saying, "Oh, my uh, child is struggling with the fact mm-hmm. that we have a new sibling. I think we need to get this book. This will really help."
1: as I wrote it, it, I didn't realize how much it was reflecting my own experience as an older sibling. Yes. And it's kind of one of those fascinating art moments where you sit back and go, Oh, this is actually a story about me, It's Uh, about my dogs, but somehow it's turned into a story about me. I
0: I have absolutely experienced that where, you know, I'll have some insight, not always a comfortable one during my own writing process where I'm like, Oh, I just told on myself there a little bit. (laughs) Yes, that absolutely happens. Uh, so, uh, what? Of in terms of now that we're you know ta- speaking of literature, what yeah. books are taking you away from your writing right now?
1: Yeah, so I just received as part of Kickstarter I backed these two beautiful anthologies. I'll hold up to the camera for YouTube: "The World of Juno" and uh, "Farther Wreaths. So this was a friend of ours, um, Dan Evenson, and. Uh, a bunch of writers that I know are in these anthologies. And so I've been really excited to get them and support my friends who are very yeah. talented writers. And so
0: are they like thematic where they, uh, you know, or, or the, the, are the anthologies all different kinds of stories or do they have to do with reefs? Is there some, something tying them together?
1: Yeah. So it's, it's, or Juno fascinating, it was a fascinating exercise where the creators of it invented an entire world and then invented writers to come in and write in this world. How... And so they kind of set the general framework, and then you got to come in and tell all the stories in this made-up fantasy world, yeah. And and then based on how the stories turned out, they put them in order of we think this one would come first, and then yeah. built it out. So I I loved it as a thought experiment, just an exercise of create a world and then other people play in your sandbox.
0: Yeah, I've I've uh, been involved in anthologies that have different kind of thematic structures and uh, one of the ones that our publishing company published was kind of like a, a matryoshka doll where it was all the stories were you know the, this story is within this story is within this story is oh, within wow. this story so that one was really tricky to edit but it came out really well how did that
1: are you talking like if there's a book inside the world that is the story or is the no, story going so out all
0: different inside. genres so that one was really fun so it, it was a way to kind of explore a a thesis of mine that all stories, you know, follow this roughly the same structure. And so my theory was, if I put this all call out to authors and said, I want you to write a story where two thirds of the way through the story, a character turns to another and says, this reminds me of the story when, and then, you know, somehow, whatever story is inside of yours will become, you know, a conversation piece and the story, your story will resolve. Only the trick is, you don't know what story will be inside of yours. And the the theory being it doesn't matter because no matter what the story inside will still be able to be an illustration for your characters of some point that they are making within the larger story. So I put this all call out there, which is a challenging one because it's easier for writers to say, oh, I've got, you know, 30, 40 stories that I'm working on. And I was basically saying, you have to write one that will only work in this anthology and and take a fly on that. And so I'm very grateful to all the folks who tried their hands at it. And, you know, we couldn't accept them all, which was kind of heartbreaking because it was like this person wrote this story and it just does not fit. Uh, But the ones that did are all different genres. So you'll have a character in a science fiction story tell a fantasy story and within that somebody tells a crime story and within that somebody tells a you know a mystery and but they all then climb back out of yeah. that with their endings and it it genuinely works you can read the whole thing straight through and it goes oh this it does seem to illustrate a point that this character is making you know and so it it worked that one worked out really well but it's really weird
1: so do, you, uh, do you gave them the structure ahead of time this is what
0: Uh, basically what i shared with you is all i told them so two-thirds of the way through a character is into you know introduces the fact that they are now going to tell a story to make a point only you don't know what that story is and then at the end of your you know the rest of your story is the consequences of that story being told that you don't know and so the that was really tricky for the writers they were like okay how can i you know, create something general enough that this person says, well, this reminds me of, you know, and then this story is inside. And then the other person goes, you know what, you make a good point, And we come out of that and their story resolves and it works. So it, That's yeah. That what was that called again? It's called stories within. And, and then I created a kind of a framing device where the, the first story is a person explaining sto- why stories matter. And then the middle is her explaining kind of how she learned this from her grandfather, and the ending resolves that. So all the stories that she tells this person are within this larger story. So that one was, yeah, that, that, that one came out really well. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I, I like the idea, but the, I, I can imagine the same challenge of saying to people, you have to write a story in this universe, this is not something you're then going to be able to sell to other magazines. This is not, you know, you're this is a one-off. You're taking a risk writing in this universe. So good for all those folks who took on that challenge and said, Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna risk it. I'm gonna, you know, write a story that only will work if it gets in this anthology. Um, so I, and I and I wonder if it will translate in the writing where you'll go, these people were really committed to this project. Like
1: you I know, think so. And my understanding, again, I haven't had a chance to. Frida, yeah, yeah, this is a read pile. This is not
0: stuff we've read yet, yeah.
1: Is that they have a wide timeline of this world and a a large map. And so things are happening in different spaces. And so they have to deal with, hopefully things don't have a timeline ripple where the story here messes up someone else's story in that timeline. And so the editors, I think, had to do some work there to be like, can you mention this a little bit? Or can you say how this would have transitioned into this? and that's finessing. Yeah.
0: And we did a little of that too with the stories within, where after everybody had written their stories and I'd chosen a rough order, then shared it with everybody and said, Okay, do you want to tweak your story at all to make that transition smoother? And and you know, and people very much engaged in that and gave each other feedback. You know, I think it would be helpful for my story that's two stories later if you would foreshadow it in this way in this earlier one so if somebody's reading it all the way through you know multiple stories in advance there'll be some little hint about something that's going to happen in another story later uh, and that's because you know on on it, behind the curtain we could uh you know th- play with that and make that all work so it came together really well
1: you'll have to check that out that sounds fascinating
0: well my one of mine in my to read pile is i've got uh this is the second in a series uh this is warlock holmes by gs denning and i met him at a at norwest con last year and he is like the nicest guy very funny and this is the idea of you know it's in the title what if sherlock holmes were a warlock and so this one is the hellhound of the baskervilles the first in the series is uh, a study in brimstone uh and it's it's you know sherlock holmes as kind of fantasy comedy and as soon as that was kind of pitched to me i was like yep that is in my wheelhouse i will have to check those out so haven't read them yet i'm i'm embarrassed to admit my, my to read pile is so you know dangerously high uh so but i will get to it and uh i encourage everybody else to read it before i do is
1: that <laughs> so, a full but, series you said there's yeah
0: like- yes uh, this is the second i don't know how many are there uh i'm not sure how many are in the series at this point uh but yeah warlock Holmes. uh Yeah. Sir Henry Baskerville, Mrs. Hudson. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's all the the characters, but turned into uh, kind of paranormal uh, fantasy
1: characters. So I'm so curious what Watson is going to be.
0: Yes. Yes. What is his, you know, and I don't even know yet, but uh, yeah, check that one out. Warlock Holmes. Uh, So where can folks find you?
1: Uh, So you can find me on my website, which is RothWrites.com. Um, If you're a writer, I also have a lot of writer resources on that page, including a story structure comparison sheet, which a lot of writers have uh, found useful, which is about 15 different story structures all laid out on the same sheet. And so it's a very helpful reference for if you're doing Save the Cat or uh, Hero's Journey, whatever the the story is you're doing. uh, It's all on one reference. So uh, you can find me there. Um, You can also find me on uh, TikTok and Instagram. Instagram at River Willow Storytime with underscores in between the words. And Mm -hmm. that's where I post all sorts of silly videos of me and my dogs. I have them reenacting fights from Star Wars and Princess Bride. And uh, so... Uh, a lot of silly, uh, low production value videos that are also keeping me from writing. So if you also right, want to know right. why I'm not writing, yes. you can go to those More pages. Well, I will
0: certainly post to those in the show notes as well. So folks, as you are watching or uh, listening to the podcast, unless you are listening while you are driving, please go into the show notes and click on those and uh, uh, check those videos out. Uh, okay. So before we get to our send off, Some people I have to thank. I want to thank the artist Max Oakland, who reached out and provided one of his songs for our intro, I Prefer the Dusk. Let Max know you like it, and following him on Twitter uh, at Max Oakland. Uh, Thanks to Hulizna CCO for their song Kids for the ad break. Uh, If you're in a band and you want to contribute a song uh, for the show, love to highlight more listeners' work. uh, Just in the same way Max did, so shoot me off an email. Thanks, as always, to Doug, the producer, for making the show sound good and for taking the blame when it doesn't. And I cannot forget to mention that this show, Writers Not Writing, is a production of Not A Pie Publishing. So please go to notapipepublishing.com. Check out the amazing books written by writers who didn't procrastinate too much. If you like this show, rate and review it wherever you found it. Uh, please check out Michael's books, rate and review that or book that's coming out soon. Uh, and uh, once that's out, rate and review it as well, giving that fifth star and telling Michael that you know his book made a difference for you will absolutely make his day. So please rate and review; it's a big deal to authors. It really helps us out, um, and of course, rate and review the show too. That will help us spread the word about Michael before the book drops. Um, so, uh, what is our? I, I've always talked too much. So what should our send off be?
1: Yeah, uh, this is a reminder to check in on that friend or family member who's been having a rough time and going through some hardship, remind them that you love them and that you're there for them. Uh, let's take care of one another. If I take my time, I'm